0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson. Coming to you live from my home office here in lovely Gilbert, Arizona, where it is a balmy 66 degrees. We are excited this week, as always, for our guest, Alex Melbranch, founder of Plain Ahead. But before we jump in and talk to Alex, just if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what it is we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, We're a podcast that's put together by small business for small business. So my partner and I, Landon Mance, are small business owners. We're actually multi-generational small business owners. Our parents and grandparents were entrepreneurs, and so it kind of runs through our veins. And we put together this podcast uh, May of 2020 as a way to prop up the small business owner throughout our country. We believe that they truly are the backbone of the American economy. And so we invite them, uh, we invite a new guest every single week to come on our podcast and talk about themselves and their business and what it is that they're doing to help prop up uh, our American economy. So without further ado, Alex Milbranch, founder of Plain Ahead, is on the show today. Alex, welcome to the show. Man, awesome. So glad to be here. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So Alex, you're in uh, Houston, Texas. Is that correct? I am
2: in Houston, Texas,
1: where it's a little bit less
2: balmy, 55-ish or so.
1: Okay. Well, I think you deserve the cooler temperatures because the humidity you deal with in the summer is stifling compared to what we deal with.
2: No, that's absolutely true. You know, I'm actually new to Houston. I just got here like six or seven months ago. And when I landed in July, me and my family had moved from Denver and we about got slapped in the face with all the humidity. I almost died within the first six weeks because it was so hot here. So yes, I am cool with the uh, 55 and light breeze that we're experiencing now because the summer is brutal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny you say that because our guest on the program last week uh, was a religious refugee that arrived in Phoenix in July of 1994 from Russia. And he came off of that airplane and walked out and thought, people actually live here? You got to be kidding me.
2: <laughs> this is what <laughs> hell feels like. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah.
1: He he actually had to second guess his religious refugee status, I think, and think, well, maybe it wasn't so bad in Russia and I'll I'll head back. But, yeah, he's he's thriving now. So. Alex, tell us about you personally before we get into the business side. You know, you mentioned that you and your family moved from Denver to Houston, but tell us about your family. Tell us about where you grew up. What did you study in school? If you went, whatever you'd like us to know about uh, about you personally.
2: Candidly, I don't think I'm super interesting, so I'll try and keep it within a thirty second window or so. <laughs> okay. um, so, I actually grew up in Chicago. Um, I grew up in Chicago in the Midwest, and before I went to school. Um, I joined the Army. So I was in the Army for about six years as an intelligence analyst, came back from serving in the Army, and then went to school for accounting. Uh, Very quickly realized accounting was not for me, and uh, then moved into tech. So I actually worked at Amazon and Amazon Web Services uh, globally for about five years, Um, lived in Australia during that time, Uh, worked with customers in London, Singapore, Sri Lanka, um, other places. So I got to travel and see the world, which is really kind of the foundation for where my passion and travel lies. And then after uh, working at Amazon and Amazon Web Services, went to join a startup called Plume, which is no longer a startup. It's worth a few billion dollars now. And and then uh, I started playing ahead while I was on paternity leave with my second daughter. So I've got two daughters. Uh, I'm a girl dad, love being a girl dad. And then I've got a wonderfully amazing wife um, that supports me. So that's about me in a
1: nutshell. Wow, that's awesome. So one thing that you don't know about me is that uh, I actually took some went went through some testing to potentially become an intelligence officer in the National Guard about 25 years ago. And uh, I always thought that it would be really cool to be in the CIA or, you know, do something like that. I speak fluent French. And so, you know, with the, the French that I speak and the testing scores that I got, they were offering a considerable signing bonus back then. But I was a newlywed. I mean, I'd been married about, I think maybe six weeks when I when I got the results back and they started talking to me about this. And I'm thinking, man, eight weeks of basic training, five months of intelligence school. I'm not yeah. sure that seven months out of my first year of marriage away from my wife is the way that this should start. So I passed. Incredible foresight out of you, Austin,
2: because... Uh... I don't necessarily recommend the armed forces for those who don't feel the need uh, to join. So great work out you. seem to have still been successful without the uh, the myriad of issues that come along with being in the, in the armed
1: forces. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think obviously there are some, some really good things that can come out of the armed forces as well. And I'm, I'm grateful for the service of, of any veteran that I know, including yourself. I've got a younger brother that's a veteran, but, it probably was not my path. I, I envisioned myself getting in a lot of trouble because I don't want to take orders from other people or, you know, yeah. going through <laughs> basic training, yelled at, and me pushing back probably would not have been good.
2: Yep. No, that was me. But don't worry, after the first couple hundred push ups, you learn very quickly not to say a word. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few stories oh, about man. that, but I, I think that would take up the majority of the podcast. So we'll save that for if you do a, uh, a veterans podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. We'll start a different podcast, veterans gone wild or, you know, who knows? You never know. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I mean, obviously, after the military, everything's good. I mean, you've got some great opportunities with Amazon and Plume and these different startups. But you mentioned during, you know, paternity leave, you come up with this idea for Plane Ahead. So, tell us, you know, start at the beginning. Tell us what Plane Ahead yeah. is. What is it that you guys do? For sure. So, I'll actually start with the story
2: and then go into kind of how that ties in. So, um, it happened very organically. Um, my older sister. She was getting married in San Diego later in the year last year. Of course, it had been moved a couple of times because of COVID. And so we, as in my family and I across the country, we had all gotten tickets on Southwest to go to San Diego for her her wedding. And because of how we grew up a little bit more frugal, um, even though I've had some financial success, I still have some of those idiosyncrasies where I'll just go back and kind of petty attention in a few different ways. And so I went back on on Southwest to see if they had a, a, a sale of some kind so I can get some credit back. And they did. And because I had you know, my wife's ticket, my kids' tickets, all together I got about $600, $650 back in credit. Decided, okay, I was going to take that credit immediately, book a trip to Hilton Head so I can take my girls to see the beach for the first time. And um, once I did that, I texted, you know, we've got a family group chat, and I said, hey, everyone, change your ticket. Uh, and then all together, when everyone changed their ticket, we had about you know, it, it within, within the family, about $2,000, $2,500 in savings altogether. It's like, man, that was like, I sent a text and we all saved like two grand together. Like that's too easy. There's gotta be an automated service that does that. So now I, I start scouring the internet. Of course I'm up late at night because I've got now a second daughter and uh, the, the difference in ages is three and one. So at the time we had a two-year-old who was learning how to stay in bed and then a, however-month-old trying to get her, you know, bearings underneath her. And so I, I'm staying up a whole lot, and now I'm on fraternity leave, so I have nothing better to do than sit there and listen to them cry and everything else. And so you know, I'm scouring the internet trying to find out why people don't do this, because it just seems too easy. And uh, after doing some research and finding no one really does it, I just, I, I built it. So within about two weeks, um, I built a, a landing page for Plane Ahead and then a Stripe account so I could start taking customers. And within uh, seven days, we had our first 30 customers. And so, what Plane Ahead does is they track the itinerary of, of customers after they bought their ticket. And then, anytime the, the, the price of their ticket goes down until they fly, we'll actually automatically exchange the ticket for the lesser price and then they'll get the credit back. So, if you want to go on vacation with your wife and, um, you know, from Phoenix to Miami on American, uh, $400 today and two weeks from now it's $300. We automatically exchange that ticket for the $300 ticket. You get the $100 back in credit so you can use it. So you no, know, we don't change the flight you're on. We don't change the seat you're on. We don't do any of that. It's literally just the price is exchanged and you'll get that credit so you can keep traveling.
1: Hmm. So do you have a coding background or what do you mean that you built it? <laughs> Um, I don't have a coding background, but I you know I work,
2: so I was at AWS, I was a technical delivery manager, technical program manager, where a lot of times I'm in the room with engineers as they're trying to understand what applications need to be migrated from the cloud or into the cloud and how they're going to optimize it and all sorts of stuff, right? So I have kind of a conceptual framework of how this stuff works, and you now I, I have some of the, I know a little bit of the questions I should ask, and so with some resources around me that I've had in my past and and some YouTube and Googling the right things. Like I'm able to piece together um, uh, what is good enough for an MVP to get started. Right. And then from there, you know, as we got more customers, I'm able to put some of the money that I'm getting from customers into actually some resources that help me kind of piece everything together. So Still a, a very very small startup, right? Like a, there's there's still some glitches that we deal with, and we're we're always trying to make it work. But um, you know, hopefully a lot more success to come as as we continue to grow.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I have no doubt about it. So you know, we for our listeners, they they kind of already know this, but we had our pre qualification call with you, and and we told you that we don't typically have you know startups on on the show. Where most of the guests that come on have been in business for a few years have revenues around $5 million or higher. Um, you're obviously not in that boat. But one of the things that struck me in our conversation with you and, and really is the reason that we brought you on is that the early success, not necessarily even the adoption of your product, but the early success that you've had in terms of fundraising and, and different relationships that you've built with people that I have relationships with and, and, you know, that are fairly well known in this kind of space uh, is, is kind of what, you know, brought us to bring you on the show. So talk to us a little bit about that. How, how did, what did you do to kind of go out there and build momentum and raise money and get, you know, recognized for certain things?
2: So honestly, in the year that I've been doing this, that's probably the nicest thing someone has said to me. So I appreciate it. Um, The reason I say that is because, you know, I'd like to, i like to think that I'm fairly humble and that I I know very little about business. Like I, I know enough to be dangerous, but what I really value and what I try and be really good at is building relationships and understanding where I can be a sponge and learn, right? I try my best to learn from everybody I'm around. And so some of the relationships that I've built have been, actually, I would say the majority of the relationships that I've built have been because I was reaching out on LinkedIn or um, I was running into somebody that knew somebody. And thankfully, like the, I would guess the sincerity of of how I come across and, and what I'm trying to do, people feel compelled to help me in that in that way and kind of extend their network. And so I've been able to meet a lot of the advisors that I have on and a lot of the customers that I have, which extend all the way to some Probably million and billionaires that you probably know, just because they're willing to say, okay, yeah, this person that I know, know that I invested in X amount of years ago, I'll give this a shot. And so it's pretty humbling for me to have experiences where, as you said, like I'm on this ty- podcast called Tycoons of Small Business, and I am nowhere near a tycoon, um, but it's my ability to, you know, continue to build relationships that lead me to better opportunities like this, where I can continue to talk about things that I love, but also talk about the business that I've started and and um, share a little bit more about the story so people can get more engaged in what we're doing.
1: So something just came to mind for me. So it, the move from Denver to Houston seems a little odd, right? So yeah. tell me a little about what, what prompted that. Was it personal or was it business related? And I'll tell you my thought process because I, I wanted to ask you about your exposure to the Silicon Slopes that not everybody's heard of, right? But the the yep. Salt Lake Valley is quickly becoming a pretty big tech hub, um Absolutely. and Denver is closer to Salt Lake than Houston is. So, t- tell us a little bit about the move, and then and then you can kind of Absolutely. talk a little bit about your experience in Salt Lake as well. So I'm I'm
2: quintessential like first time founder, right? So I, I didn't know anything about Silicon Slopes, like I, I am someone that, you know, my wife has uh, multiple sclerosis, and and between multiple sclerosis and my two young kids, for the majority of our marriage together, you know, I've been taking care of our family financially, and so, you know, I turned to my wife one day after messing with this during paternity leave, and I have a really good job um, at Plume, and I said, hey, babe, I think, I don't know, like, I've always wanted to have my own business, and, you know, I always said I would prioritize putting the family first because you know those entrepreneurs are they're chasing stuff always and i'm like i don't want to do that but if something comes to me i want to take it seriously and, and she looks at me and she said yeah you should do it you should do it and of course at that time she didn't realize that it, it meant that we would have to sell our house so i i looked to her and i say so like i i want to do it i i it's a pandemic right i can't get, get people to like kind of help at this stage like now we've got to put some money into it. Well, okay, well, what does that look like? Well, hear me out. What do you think about selling our house? We we can we can get from under our debts. You know, both of us still had student loan debts and other things. I say if we sell our house, like it's COVID, a lot of the people from California are coming to Denver, they're paying crazy money. Like we can we can take advantage of that, get out of debt, maybe put some money away for savings in case things happen. And of course, um, I, I won't tell you exactly what preceded that, proceeded that conversation, but uh, eventually it was a yes, right? So thank you to my amazing wife um, for following my crazy dreams. And a part of that was like, okay, why we picked Texas is it was just cheaper to live in Texas than it was uh, Denver. So to answer your question about why the move, it was literally because I wanted to be all in on plane ahead. And I just started it. It probably would have been smarter to like validate a few things, see if I can get some investment first. I just kind of went for it. And uh, thankfully, it's working out a little bit, right? And so at the time, I didn't really know anything about Silicon Slopes or kind of the the ecosystem of founders and how they're trying to, this large infusion of cash into the market. Again, I'm just, I was really focused on what I was working on. And so as I start to learn more about the ecosystem and how things are, the landscape of how, you know, the startups are kind of spreading from Silicon Valley into Utah and Denver and all these places. Turns out, yeah, I missed an opportunity to be there, but um, through a and, and like I said earlier, I I troll LinkedIn. I'm I'm googling a bunch of stuff. but I, I don't for months. I just don't sleep, and I'm just I'm learning, right? I, I just like to learn, and I come across um, some people out of Salt Lake City that are doing a nonprofit, and so I do the I sign up as a part of this nonprofit. I do a podcast, and in the podcast, I says, "Hey, I know someone that does this nonprofit for venture capital." I'm like, great. Um, could you give me an introduction? And through that introduction, actually, I met. Um, they give you a mentor to help with your pitch. Through that process, I met one of my what would be my advisors, uh, Jeff Erickson, and um, he got me connected into all things Silicon Slope. So now Salt Lake City is like a second home to me. I'm always going in and out of Salt Lake City. In fact, I'll be there next week uh, for another uh, you know event. But um. Yeah, the ecosystem in, in Utah is pretty incredible. Like, I had no idea that all of that was happening within Salt Lake City until um, I kind of made my first step into it. And now it's, as you said, I, because I start to build those relationships both when I was in Denver unknowingly and, and now in Utah, um, it's, it's been a really great asset for me to have those kinds of connections in this part of the country as it continues to grow
1: yeah, it's an interesting area. So I actually grew up in in Provo, Utah, and i'm I'm flying there this afternoon to see some clients tomorrow on Thursday. and it's it's been interesting to watch, you know from the outside. So I haven't lived there in quite a while. Um, and then I lived there for a short period, but before that, I lived in Southern California. So my adult life has largely been outside of the state of Utah, which has been when most of this you know transition or transformation has taken place. But it's crazy to watch how many really for such a small state, how many tech billionaires there are in the state of Utah and and what they've been able to build. And, you know, just the innovation that that takes place there in the minds. And, you know, part of it has to do with the fact that there's way more universities in the state of Utah than should be for such a small population state. But. They take advantage of that. They believe in education, and then they really push innovation, which is awesome.
2: What I think is really unique about Utah and students and in those universities to make sure that the success that they're feeling, being the billion dollar, you know, owner or billion dollar owners or founders, they're reinvesting back into Utah and the University of Utah and some of the entrepreneurship programs, so that they're now multiplying. They're forced multiplying the amount of startups coming out of there because they're. Reinvesting back into that ecosystem, which I, I find is really great, because you know, coming from Chicago, where there are more celebrities or musicians or, or, or TV personalities that have been in Chicago and they reinvest in Chicago, but it's such a big landscape. It's a big city where it's hard to see like the the majority of the fruit that comes from the labor of those uh, you know celebrities and things going back into that. System, but with Utah being kind of a t- tighter knit community, you're seeing those returns a lot quicker. So I think it's pretty cool what they're doing in there uh, within that ecosystem as well, to continue to grow the talent that they have there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. I mean, I I think, yeah, I mean, the reality is there's rail salt Lake, which is technically a pro team, but not one of the big, you know, pro teams like we have in the United States, football, basketball, baseball, you know, so forth. So, The Utah Jazz is kind of the only game in town, as far as professional sports is concerned. And I really hope and think that they will have other sports teams in the future. I mean, the Angels' AAA baseball team is there, and like I said, Real Salt Lake, and they've they've won the. I'm not a big soccer fan. The MLS Cup, I think, is what it is. MLS
2: Cup. There you go. Yeah,
1: Um, and you know, so it's it's not like they're not well known, and they do have a really nice stadium, um, but. The owner of the Utah Jazz, I don't know him super well. I know his family, his younger brother or older brother. I can't remember which, um, you know, was a quasi friend of mine in high school. But what I love about what he's done since his big exit is, like you said, reinvest back in the state of Utah, but he's bringing in people from the outside, right? I mean, he's brought in Dwayne Wade, he's brought in these other people to kind of say, look, there's something really cool going on here in Utah. This isn't just a place to come and ski in the winter, but this is a place to come and build businesses for the long run. We've got a very smart, you know, governmental system that understands the power of a tax system that, that brings in business. And, you know, you know, invites companies to come in and gives them tax credits and incentives to be there so it's a really cool hub and I'm glad that you got you know plugged in there uh, completely by chance
2: absolutely shout out to Ryan Smith if you're listening
1: (laughs) yes absolutely yeah so Jeremy Smith was the one that was my age and I can't remember if Ryan's older or younger but um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I know some people that work there and have some clients that work there and so forth, but, um, you know, their family and we're all dumb kids in high school, but we were just, they were big into mountain biking and those sorts of things. And so if you'd told me 25 years ago that Ryan Smith or any of his siblings would do anything besides own a bike shop, I would have told you, <laughs> you <were> crazy, right? <laughs> and, and look at what they have built now. So. Yeah. All right. So let's have you kind of back up and explain a little bit of of the inner workings, right? Because everybody's familiar with Expedia and Travelocity and all these companies out there. And I think I want to hone in on really what it is that makes you guys different and, and how the process works. So if somebody wants to use this service, how do they do it? How do they engage with your company? And then what exactly is it that you guys are doing for them?
2: Sure. So uh, you know, I, I wanna kind of go through the customer journey as, as it pertains to travel, right? Typically traveling, that journey starts months before you actually buy the ticket. So it comes about because you see something on TV, you're watching Emily in Paris on Netflix, and you're like, man, Paris looks beautiful. I'd love to go. Or, you know, you're watching uh, you know, another or you you see something on Instagram, you're like, man. Now, Kenya is really cool. So then that thought process starts right And when when customers have that thought process, they'll go to places like Google or Instagram to kind of build some inspiration about why I would want to go. Um, and then after that kind of inspiration process, you kind of make a decision okay I want I want to go to Paris and I want to go this time of year. So then it comes down to, okay now I've got to save X amount of money And so you're saving. And when you're about to buy, either when you're about to buy or just before that, you go on things like Kayak, Expedia to kind of understand the pricing dynamics. Like, okay, this time of year, it's like $400. And this time of year, $600. And so um, the the booking.com, Travelocity, Kayak, those are what we call OTAs. And so what they do, they're kind of third-party resellers in a sense to say, hey, like you can buy your Delta ticket through booking.com. And previous to COVID, right? That was kind of, ingrained in us that was the best way to buy your ticket the reason being um to kind of be as high level as possible they get kind of blocks of tickets on all these airlines at a, at a lesser rate so that they can give it to you at a lesser rate what's happening is they're they're projecting 12 18 24 months in advance they get that block of tickets way in advance and then they can start selling it at that time to say hey if you buy it with us you're going to get 20 dollars off as opposed to if you went direct well, that that model of predicting is becoming less and less accurate because of the fluctuations in how people are traveling today. So if six months before COVID you bought a ticket to Amsterdam and you're like, man, this price doesn't get any better. And then six months later, they're selling tickets for you know twenty dollars just to get you on the flight, right? Now er- everything that, that has kind of happened in the past is is having to kind of be rethought. And so now if you go on like a booking.com or kayak and you look at one flight, an American flight to Miami, and then you go on American and look at it, they're pretty much the same price because it's hard to, to actually think about that that prediction. And so what we do is actually different in that we're not doing any predictive uh, modeling or, or guessing, right? So because travel is so finicky and, and it's flexible right now, and there's some rules that, to the airlines that have been changed mainly about 18, 20 months ago, the major airlines decided that change fees were going to be gone permanently well because of those changes in the industry now There's been another opportunity created as far as not guessing but um, taking advantage of these fluctuations as they occur So as opposed to buying a ticket on booking.com six months in advance And saying okay, I think I got the best price You can buy it directly from the airline which allows you the greatest flexibility and as those airline prices change those changes can now be, you know, you can get those, the, you know, the the positive impact of those changes. And so that, that's kind of the main differentiator, right? There's, there's not a predictive modeling. It's, it's taking advantage of what is actually occurring on a day-to-day basis. And then kind of secondarily, and I alluded to it already, if if you're someone that does buy your tickets on booking.com or Expedia, if you've ever tried to make a change on the, to those airlines, let's say, you know, you bought a Delta ticket, if you call Delta and say, Hey, um, you know, I, I've had a sickness or I want to change to an earlier flight. Delta will say, hey, you know, we've identified or it's, it's identified in our system as a third party ticket. You'll have to go through um, the original booking party. And so now you're kind of at liberty to what booking.com's terms and conditions are, their their policy, Kayak's policy, which all can be different, right? And usually the first 24 hours are able to be changed. But after 24 hours, a lot of those platforms don't allow you to make changes. And so now you're putting yourself in a position where you thought you were getting the best price and you're not because predicting is hard uh, these days in travel. And then you thought you could engage in the flexibility, the same flexibility, because who knows what travel is going to be like as we move forward and you can't. Um, So with plane ahead, you're going directly to the airline. So you're getting the ability to still get the flexibility that the airlines are continuously Um, Trying to give to their customers as these changes are happening Um, And then we're taking advantage of what's happening today January 18th as opposed to what you thought was going to happen on January 18th six months ago And so as we make those changes, you're able to realize those that benefit today. And so um, That's really what's special about what we're doing. That's different than what's been done in the past and so we're excited to bring kind of a more customer-centric spin on, on what essentially or, or historically for travel industry has been pretty archaic and slow as far as innovation space. And so now with some of these rule changes, we're able to hopefully make an impact that's positive for the customer, but also positive for the airlines, right? Like the airlines are right now going through a really hard time trying to fill their planes and and get the ability to um, maximize their dollar. Well, if I told you, Austin, that you know, if you bought your ticket today at three hundred. And then it went down to two fifty. You'd be super excited. You might be like me that one day and say, "Well, I'm gonna buy another ticket right now." Like I, I only travel once a year because I have so many dollars. But you know, if you're gonna give me a fifty dollar credit, I'm gonna get another ticket. And and the great thing for the airlines is very seldomly are they gonna have a fifty dollar ticket, right? So you'll get a fifty dollar credit and be, "Man, this is great! I love this." You get that kind of euphoria of saving some money. You go out and spend another two hundred dollars because it was. On sale, right? And now, now they've got the, the airlines have a recurring revenue that ordinarily wouldn't have been there because uh, you know if you look at the statistics, uh, over eighty percent of of customers that fly in the United States would label themselves as airline agnostic. They, you know, they they go on these OTAs, these Kayaks, Google Flights. They just look up where they want to go, and whatever whatever flights come up, that that's what they go with, right? It's it's really just the business travelers that say I fly United because I want the miles, I want the status. Other than that, people are just price-driven. So now if you can if you can capture those price-driven customers and say, hey, now that we've got you here and we'll continue to, you know, those credits as you continue to accumulate those credits, obviously you can only use them with us, right? Now you've got a built-in loyalty process where these customers are engaged because you as the airline have given them an opportunity to be, you know, saving money and, and be more cost-conscious while... Get gaining loyalty themselves, and so that's that's what I think is really different about what we're doing. While we're excited about some of the things that we're able to do uh, thus far, at least.
1: Yeah, I think you know as you describe that. I mean, obviously, you you buy a ticket based on the fact that you want to go there. You think that you've gotten a good deal, but at the same time, you're locking in the fact that if if it wasn't the best deal and rates came down, you can get that credit later on that you wouldn't have otherwise received. Yeah.
2: And and for what we're doing like you know a lot of people when I'm pitching or they're learning about plane ads for the first time they kind of have their set amount their set number of questions or or the set kinds of questions that they ask and one of those questions is like what what desire are you tapping into for potential customers? And yeah. where maybe in some businesses it's one dimensional I I think we tap into a lot of different kinds of customers, right? We can we can tap into a customer that's just cost conscious and wants to know they've made the best deal. Or we can tap into a customer that just wants to travel. So now we're giving them an opportunity to travel more without spending more, right? So they, they've got, seemingly they're, they're two different sides of the spectrum, but we're serving both of those customers in different ways. Um, and so I, I like what we're doing because of the flexibility that we're providing to customers that again, in this industry historically has been really restrictive um, as far as their innovation and how they partner. I mean, um, it's it's pretty evident in the way that the airline industry is structured, that they try and make it so that, you know, they're kind of on the island themselves and, you know, they they make the rules, right? But in this way, yes, they still make the rules, but in this way, customers can now um, kind of gain a lot of, you know, they, they gain a lot of interesting perks as far as what the rules now present as opposed to before it, it was, very restrictive and, and kind of leans more towards the airlines. Now it can lean both ways.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. So let, let's take a quick break. We'll hear a, a quick call to action. Then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about how do you really take advantage of this with you guys? Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, we're here with uh, Alex Melbranch of Plane Ahead, and we're just talking about what they're doing to disrupt the travel industry and and make it more uh, customer-centric, so to speak, and and give us opportunity to have additional perks as we travel, etc. So, Tell us, what are the nuts and bolts? If I decide, okay, yep. I want to be able to take advantage of that, how do I engage with Plane Ahead?
2: Yeah, so as it stands right now, um, you know, there's, a, you get on our website, um, planeahead.co.co, and that's kind of the new trend nowadays where the dot-com era is done. It's now the dot-co era. So, uh, planeahead.co, and, um, you know, there's a, there's a few call to actions right on that front screen where you can become a member. You now I, I would. Um, highly recommend people just kind of go through and, and see what we're about, um, some of the different ways that you can utilize your Plain Ahead membership. But now once you become a member, you'll start to get some emails from us that kind of tell you a little bit more about how to use it, um, what to do, and some different ways that you can leverage the membership. Um, so to talk a little bit more about that, when you sign up and you get that welcome, you'll see that you'll get a, an email address, a customer email address, and you'll forward your itineraries to the email address and that's how it gets in, input into our system. And so after that, you won't have to worry about anything. The way that we communicate with you is through whatever your preference is. So text or email and you'll, you'll get emails and texts like, hey, we've gotten your, if you send in your itinerary, we'll, we'll confirm that we've gotten it from you. We'll give you updates as far as if we've gotten credits back. We'll give you updates as far as a, if you have a 9 a.m. flight and we see a possibility for you to save, call it $100 if you take the 1030 flight. We'll email or text you and say, hey, you know, there's an opportunity that you could save some money. Um, at this moment, we don't make those automatic changes for you, right? There's a bunch of reasons why people travel and cost might not be top of the list, but we still try and um, give you that value as a part of it. Um, you know, as as you kind of said at the beginning, I'm a startup. And so there's ad, we're uh, evolving every couple months, right? And so probably in the next month or two, we'll have built out our back end where you'll actually be able to sign into your account um, you'll be able to see all the credits that you've gotten. And you'll see some analytics around how much you're saving um, and you'll be able to keep a history about uh, of all the, the, the trips that you've submitted. So um, that's kind of the the nuts and bolts as it stands today and then and the next uh, month or two as well.
1: Okay. So that membership is just a monthly or an, an- annual subscription? Yeah. So it's
2: an annual subscription. Um, so. For the year that I've been doing it, I didn't want cost to be a barrier, right? It's all about validating and understanding how customers are interacting with our product and and how we can make it better. So feedback is the most important thing for us at this moment. So we've got an annual membership. um, We've got three tiers of membership. They provide the same thing. It's just about how many people are going to be a part of it. So if you're an individual, it's $99 for the year. We don't take any like additional transaction fee or anything like that. So to give somebody kind of a, an inkling on you know the amount of credits the highest credit we've gotten on one change is 816 dollars. so if you think oh i'm only traveling you know to see grandma twice a year like is it really worth it we've had customers get 800 700 600 back in one credit change um, none of those by the way those highest ones that i've just stated those were all domestic trips so the highest one was going from uh, they were going from silicon valley to new york so you think wow. that there's not a bunch of money out there to save? You he, he are you are wrong. There's there's definitely a lot of money out there to save. So um, for an individual, ninety nine dollars for kind of a duo or couple membership, it's one twenty nine, and then a family membership, which is two adults and two yeah. minors, it's one forty nine. So yeah, we're we try our best to give you as much value in that as possible, and also like, no, uh, you stated because I'm kind of at the earlier stages, I'm still talking to investors and that sort of thing, and. One of the common things that comes up to me is, so you can save people eight hundred dollars, but you're only charging a hundred for the year. Like you're way undercharging, and um, that, you know, in some capacity, that could be true. But as I said, like we're, we're wanting to get the feedback, but also knowing that we're a startup and we go through kind of bumps and hiccups in the road. Like we kind of built in kind of the uh, thanks for coming along the ride with us, kind of loyalty membership discount, if you will, and and those people that come along the ride after we've gotten our legs under us, it'll probably be a little bit more expensive, but like right now we're we're really focusing on trying to make the experience for our customers really great and um, hear what their voices are saying as far as how we can make it a little bit better.
1: Yeah. So when I hear this whole story, I think to myself, why didn't I think of that, right? <laughs> so, you know, I, and I'm sure there are other listeners thinking, why didn't I think of that? But why do you think it is that nobody has Done this before? Why isn't anybody else doing this? So,
2: so there are two things. Um, one, this this mechanism is being done from an enterprise and corporate structure, and the way the corporate entities like Concur, Carlson, Wagonlit, um, amx Global Travel, um, they use the global distribution system GDS in order to directly connect with the records across all airlines and to make it super simple. If you go on United or Southwest. All of those records, all those flights are being pulled from a central repository called the GDS, where all of those things come from. And so if you're a corporate uh, conglomerate, you've had access into that GDS. And when you call your travel desk, if you know, when I work for Amazon, you call the travel desk, they can get you that credit back and use it for you the next time because they're using kind of an enterprise mechanism. It's not being done on the consumer side. And the reason why it hadn't been done, at least uh, based on my research, right? Um, 20 months ago, before the airlines changed their policy, it wasn't feasible for a consumer, either person or product, or excuse me, a person or company to say, hey, we're going to make these changes for you because those changes also came along with a 200 300 or $400 change fee. So you'd say, yeah, I saved 50 bucks, but now I've got to pay $400 for the change fee. That, that doesn't make any sense, right? And so... All of the or all of the companies before 20 months ago have built their innovation, whether they be Hopper or Scotts Cheap Flights is another one, but all of these different travel companies, younger ones that have tried to innovate, they've innovated around these set of rules that no longer exist. And so though those companies are still going to do really well with what they're doing, now that there's kind of a new set of rules that allows for smaller companies like myself to now start to innovate in the space. And so Twenty months ago, it wouldn't have made sense for anyone to do it because it wasn't lucrative in, in any way, shape, or form. Now that those changes have been made and, and the airlines have committed to them being done permanently, whether permanently in, in actuality is you know another cycle of life, fifteen or twenty years, right? Um, that's plenty of time for for a company or companies to innovate in that space using those new rules. So, kind of a confluence of good timing, as as it called, as it is for me because I was having this idea and doing this thing for my family in the same time frame that they had changed these rules. And so now it allows me to kind of be one of the first companies that are using these new rules to serve customers in a different way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I think of a couple of things. One, I used to be one of those business travelers. And so I was loyal to one airline. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked the upgrades. I liked the miles. I liked the whatever it was, the, the free meals, the ability to change my flight without a change fee. Right. So yep. all those kinds of things are reasons that I was loyal, you know, from a business standpoint, but I also think that what you're doing here could change the way that my own son who's 21, almost 22 years old. And I just, I can't figure out why he keeps doing this because he gets burned more often than not. I think, but <laughs> you know, he's in college And he'll want to go. And so he's at Arizona state. He'll want to go and watch their football team play an away game somewhere. Well, he'll buy the one way ticket, but he doesn't buy the ticket back. Right. And he'll just kind of watch it and watch it and watch it. And then all of a sudden it'll spike and he'll end up having to pay more than he anticipated because, because he waited right now, sometimes he wins pretty big, but with your solution, he could feasibly just buy the ticket, not worry about it, and if it does drop the way he thinks it might, then he gets the credit from from what you guys are doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny you say that because I'm I'm an ultra planner, and I think before this, before we hopped on live, you know, I was talking about how I'm OCD as well, I believe. And so um, with that, like when we talked about, you know, I, I can serve a bunch of different customers with different, um, you know, desires that their outcomes are trying to get. That's another one, like the ultra planner, right? Which was me. I plan all of my yearly trips, like all of my 2022 travel trips are already planned and in my calendar. And so when I book it that far in advance, it's like, yeah, sometimes I get great deals. Sometimes it's like, um, you know, I don't get the best deals, but there are people that think like me that are like, well, I'm just gonna watch it and just see what happens. But when you watch it, like you said, more times than not, we get burned. (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because people think the further out you buy, the better. But it, you know, I, I, there was a study—I think it was Statistica, that said, like, on average, the cheapest plane ticket for domestic is three and a half weeks out. For internationals, six weeks out. So you're thinking, oh man, I'm gonna get the six months previous, like that's gonna be the best price. And you're like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> so yeah. yes, it's like another consumer that that we can really help in like their process of. Wanting to travel is that super planner. That's okay. I, I want to go on all these trips, but now I want to spend time to watch. Or people will set alerts on Google Flights. Say, hey, alert me when it gets here. Um, they've got like Hopper building that functionality as well as scotch Cheap Flights. That alert me when it when this right. Um, and in in this case, you don't have to do it. You can actually lock in the ticket. Like, hey, we're gonna go here. The dates. This is what happening. And then as as it goes down, you can capture that the incentives. And the, as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's the feedback been from the airlines? I mean, you're pretty small, so the airlines may not even really realize that you're disrupting this at all at this point, but what do you think they think about it, I guess, is a, is a better way to put it?
2: Yeah, so I've actually talked to a couple of the airlines. Uh, I've, gotten, uh, a, I've gotten one get off my lawn from one of the airlines, his lawyer, but I've also gotten some like, this is really cool, we might want to Proof of concept, and so it's interesting, right? Because it's brand new. Ultimately, like the first uh, instinctive gut reaction for an airline is probably no, stay away from our space. Like this is you're 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 treading on on territory you shouldn't be, and which makes sense, right? Because again, before twenty months ago, that's uh, a lot of people that are trying to innovate or trying to work around the rules that they had set. Yeah. Um, but now, like once I, once I've had the opportunity to talk to some of the airlines, it's like okay this could be an interesting way for our loyalty customers to find like something extra. Now, for example, I was United one K when I was flying around with Amazon and um, with United one K, you get a free clear membership. So great. I can just scan my eyes and go. And so this to one of the airlines, we've actually spoken to one of them. um, One of them was like, you know, for our uh, uh, one K, no, it's not United, but for our one K equivalent, yeah, we can do like a a price protection powered by plane ahead. Like this might be something interesting. And so maybe you get to a point where let's talk about if change fees come back. Well, if we've got partnerships with the airlines and they say, Hey, our one K or our top members have this price protection. Now it goes back to what you were stating about being a business traveler. You have this functionality that nobody else gets. And all it does is make you go back and buy more tickets. And so um, I think it's right now it's a mixed bag, right? Because it's new and it's like, what are you guys doing? Like get off our territory. But ultimately, like I, I built it in a way in which it should be complementary to the airlines. And so having customers go directly to the airlines as opposed to through OTAs, having customers continue to build loyalty as they gain more credits and buy more flights, all of those things are, um, are, are supposed to drive more. Consumers and revenue to the airlines and so when when we start to prove it out a little bit more and get a little bigger and say Hey, like these are the statistics of actually that happening um, I I don't foresee any issue with the airlines, you know as they kind of see because they're they're driven by like a lot of Enterprises driven by the bottom line and and so when you say hey, like When it was a couple years ago and 80% of customers identified themselves as airline agnostic and now it's 65 and that 15% is you know. Delta people in Atlanta, or you know United people in in Houston, you know, that that says a different story. Now now there's an opportunity for us to to really partner with some of these airlines and make a difference. Again, whether they continue to have no change fees or they say no change fees, right? Like they can they can make it kind of a, a thing that's special for their loyalty customers. Or if this continues with no change fees, they can go to the larger masses and say, hey, this is the way that we're going to um, be more customer centric around you.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think the real key for you going forward, especially if they bring back change fees, who knows if they will, right. But even if they don't, I mean, the key for you is to be a partner with the airlines rather than an adversary, right. Cause one, yeah. you know, if you ever watch, uh, Shark Tank, you know Kevin O'Leary likes to say they'll squash you like the cockroach that you are, right? Absolutely, because that's really you know you know where you are compared to them. But if you can position yourself as a perk even to their elite customers, they're going to appreciate that. That puts you in a better position because what we do know is that airlines, hotels, rental cars, all that—they would much rather you book directly with them. And be on their website than on Expedia, you know the OTAs of, of the world. So I, I think that that's kind of the key, right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. And that's our goal. When I was trying to build what this was going to look like, I mean, there's some things in addition that we could have offered. Like when I started this, I thought about different um, features that we could offer, but I said, you know, in the long run. If we want to be you know, potential partners with airlines, this might be disruptive to what they're doing. So I try to build something that is going to be complementary to what they're doing so that we can, as you said, kind of build an a, a ecosystem that they can start to own as opposed to you know, partnering and, and shelling some of that stuff out to third parties where they don't get that data. Um, they don't get the control of, of what they're doing, the flexibility. They're obviously getting... Uh, giving their tickets and seats out for a discount in order to gain that business. And so now um, they're not having to do that if I can build an ecosystem that that we can, you know, be in partnership with.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So what else do we need to know about Plan Ahead or Alex Mill Branch that we don't know today?
2: Well, there's a lot because I'm pretty sure nobody knows
1: much about me and, and Plan Ahead.
2: But over time, we'll change that. But Um, You know, I think I've said it a couple of times already, right? Um, For me, like I built this company because I have a belief in how travel has changed my life, right? Like when I started to travel, you know, I grew up one of four kids to a single mom. I'm first generation from Haiti. And so we didn't have a whole lot of stuff, right? And so um, when I went to college and joined the army and started to see different parts of the world, I wholeheartedly believe that it changed my life. I I remember when I got off the plane in Australia when I studied abroad. I was there for like 6 week term and I got off the plane in Sydney, or excuse me, in Cairns. We we went to Sydney and then connected over to Cairns with the Great Barrier Reef is. We got out, walked out the door, uh, just got my stuff out of baggage claim. It was a really overcast day, really humid. Palm trees and they were swaying to the left. I remember so vividly and I for whatever reason, I'm a spiritual person. So I just felt grounded in that moment. And I said, like, this is where I was supposed to be. Like I was supposed to be in this place right now, getting ready to embark on this journey. And it turns out, um, if you know anything about me or my wife, um, we used like I said, we used to live in Australia and that's our dream. Like one day we're going to live in Australia with our kids because we've enjoyed that time so much. And so um, from that time period, when i go to different cultures, learn different things. I'm a huge foodie. I love to learn about people's culture through their food. And I, I vehemently believe like my ability to give people that opportunity is what could make it a better place for a lot of people to live, right? Like that's how I learned about cultures and different differences and how, how I can see eyes through somebody else. And so like when I talked about like those different customers, I thought, you know, you, when you Google, like how to start a business. Cause I did that. Like I said, I'm very prototypical, like first time founder. So I'm Googling how to start a business and it <laughs> used to be business plan, right? Like a 10 page business plan or whatever. But now they do what they call lead canvas and it's like nine boxes. And it's like, Hey, who are your key customers? What are you, uh, what's your messaging? Um, you know, what's, what's your differentiator, all this other stuff. And as I'm talking about customers, I'm like, okay, if I can target two groups of people that i believe struggle the most in trying to travel it's families because of the cost associated the kind of clumsiness of trying to get five tickets and bring five kids along with all the stuff that comes with that um so it's families and then millennials like people like your son that like want to go places but they need every dollar <laughs> every dollar and when they graduate and they get their sixty thousand dollar job a year job, and they're like, man, $60,000 is crazy awesome. And then they buy their $1,500 a month apartment, and then they take over their own car note, and they take over their own phone bill, and you're like, actually, this is nothing, and I have no more money left, right? (laughs) So it's those two groups that are like, they want to go places, but they are restricted by cost and flexibility. I want to let that be the motivating factor for what we're doing, why we're doing it, I want to continue to keep that front of mind. So if there's somebody out there that over hopefully we're in business for two, three, four plus years at any point, if you don't feel like those things are top of mind, please find me on LinkedIn or whatever. Message me and tell me to get my act together because um, those are the things for me. I have had positions, luckily and thankfully, because of my experience that pay well and give me financial opportunity. But as I said in a story earlier, like I sold my house and decided to move to Texas because I want to do this. Like, so I want to main I want to keep that front of mind when we're building this. So um hopefully we can bring lots of value to customers that want to travel, that wanna save money, that wanna see if there's a different way to do this thing that we've all been doing for decades, right? Like there just hasn't been any innovation. So I want people to keep me honest to that so um i'm somebody that as i said before i want to learn um i want to be humble about it so even like if we get to a a place god willing i'm like ryan smith i own the houston texans and Mm -hmm. like for whatever reason you feel like playing ahead is not staying true to that please find me
1: well said Uh, you know i think it's funny because everybody has their own viewpoint and, and what makes them passionate about what it is that they do right and, and what I've learned over the years is that there is the ability to be passionate about whatever it is, right? It's, that's really up to us. And something that we're passionate about is something that we should pursue. For you, it's travel. But it's not just travel. It's that travel allows you to expand your horizons. And, and you know, I mean, first generation Haitian American, like you said, you grew up in Chicago. There are a lot of kids that look like you in Chicago, that have never been outside of Chicago, right? Many Absolutely. of them that have never, yeah, that have never been outside of their own neighborhood even, right? And so it gives them, not neighborhood, but you know what I mean, like their community. Yes. It, it This gives them the ability to expand their horizons and everybody needs to be able to expand their horizons because it helps us to understand one another better and to figure out that there's more. I mean, this is Part of this is probably because of everything that I thought about yesterday with Martin Luther King Day, right? But it gives us an ability to understand that we have more in common than we have different, right? Absolutely. But we also get to see what makes other people different and unique and why that's important to them and why they are the way that they are. Everybody understands everybody else better. We all get along better. This divisiveness that we're all dealing with kind of, you know, I I don't know that it's ever going to go away, but I tell you what, I'm just, I'm tired of the divisiveness in all areas of our lives. Let's just realize that we can disagree and do it respectfully and have different viewpoints on things, but we're all part of one human race. And let's, let's expand our horizons together.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one thing comes to mind immediately. Like I I remember when I was in high school, like I had this friend, she was from uh, an Asian country. And when I would go over to her house, like the way that her family communicated with each other, very odd to me, right? Like the, the way that the structure of their home was and why her mom did certain things and why her dad did certain things. And like, you in my mind, I kind of generalize that, okay, that's Asian culture. You know, that's, that's fine. Like, I don't think negatively of, of that or positively of that. Like that, in my head, is was like, yeah, that's, that's strange. I've never seen anything like that. Well, fast forward to maybe 15 years later, and I go to Singapore and Thailand, and I'm seeing people that are from there, like in in their, buy their homes, at their shops. You know, I go to, I try not to go to touristy places. I want to go to like the hole in the wall place. Like, And so like you're seeing all of these people interact with each other. It's like, okay, now 15 years later, I understood more about my friend from 15 years earlier than I did in that moment. And I have not talked to that person in 15 years, but like that person stuck in my mind. As I, as I started, I was at this um, curry shop in Thailand and I'm like, huh, I, I don't know what she's doing right now, but like this, like I'm connecting that from 15 years ago. Like, that's pretty cool that makes sense to me now. And so like, whereas some people might sit like at the time I said, that's strange. And again, some people take that negatively or positively. It wasn't meant in any disrespect, but that strangeness was now met with the reality of how this entire country communicates and, and works with each other. And now I'm like, oh, okay. Like they, the structure of their household is rooted in, the way that their parents grew up, whether it was in Thailand or in that part of the world, and and that like made so much sense to me. Oh, that now I think of it as oh, that's cool. Like yeah. the, the way that they do that—that's much cooler than like you know a Haitian immigrant household. It, it's very much like this is what you're gonna do, right? And some <laughs> some some cultures are a little bit more collaborative. Some cultures are a little bit more like dictator—not the right word, but authoritarian. There you go, yeah. authoritarian, right? And, and structured, so. It's just super cool to start to like, you have these people, these friends, these family members in mind, and then you go to this part of the world where those people originally identify with, and you're like, huh, I understand Jennifer a lot more now that I went to Russia because she's Russian and has all these idiosyncrasies. And I went to Moscow and, ah, okay, that's so cool. So yeah, yeah I, I think it's just about expanding those horizons. It's, it's fun for me, like, you know, like I said, when I got to Australia and like, had my experience in Australia, I, I loved it so much. My family loves it so much. We want to live there, right? You might find that you, know, you, you thought that America was the best place in the world because we've got really great marketing people that say this is the place of dreams. <laughs> but you, you might find out that when you go to a different country, like, that's actually the place of your dreams. And you want to live in Spain or you you want to live in in Paris. So yeah, I could ramble about this for a while. I'm pretty passionate about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, we we are out of time, but I I have appreciated the conversation. I could definitely talk to you all day about these kinds of things. And I think that what you're doing is is very disruptive to the travel industry, but disruptive in a positive way. I think it's a it's a uh, service that is badly needed and i'm glad that you came up with it during your paternity leave and launched plane ahead and we look forward to watching you and uh, and following your your uh, success throughout for the years to come.
2: Thank you very much and if I can just shamelessly plug because this is this is the new Thanks. part of entrepreneurial chip that I'm <laughs> I'm learning about right um not usually it's in your face but follow us at plane ahead on Instagram find us on Facebook Plane Ahead Official and YouTube. We're going to be starting a channel here pretty soon. Um, and you can always find me, Alex Mailbranch on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk to, mentor, hang out with anybody. I, I've got two kids, so any escape that I can get from the madness that lives in my house, I'm happy to do it. So appreciate any support that comes our way
1: from this podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here, Alex. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1pm right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.